Hello, and welcome to the Questions and Answers podcast with Dean Carmichael, Jr., a podcast dedicated to widely dividing the word of truth. And now your host, Dean Carmichael, Jr. The church at Pergamos was the worldly church. They represent the church under imperial favor from 314 to 590. This is the rise of the Roman Catholic Church. Constantine, he gave freedom of religion in Rome after he saw the vision of the cross before he went to battle. His sons continued to give religious freedom in Rome and even banned pagan sacrifices and attended some pagan temples. Just when it looks like Christianity would become a, the, the state religion, Julian the Apostate took the imperial throne. Because his relatives died under a Christian ruler, his study of philosophy, Julian was a follower of Neoplatonism and took away the Christian church by ordering full freedom of worship. Fortunately for the church, his reign was shortened, so the setback was only temporary. But Christianity would become the statewide religion in 381 under Theodosius, the last emperor to rule both the eastern in the western part of Rome. He ordered punishment anyone who would do pagan worship and even shut down the school of philosophy at Athens. Um, in this period, going all the way back to Constantine, the moral tone of Rome started to change. You know, um, the dignity of women was given more recognition. Gla gladiator shows were beginning to be eliminated. Slaves were given milder treatment. Roman legislation became more just and more missionary work, right? So everything is, is you, would, you would think, well, everything is good now, right? Well, in return for position, protection, and the aid of the government demanded the right to interfere with spiritual and theological matters. Constantine, in 314 and 325, gave himself the right to arbitrate the dispute of the church uh, this is when the struggles of the church started. This would eventually lead to the rise of the Roman Catholic Church. So there was a gradual change in church government. Instead of local churches with their own leadership, the final word of authority, the church began to have powerful bishops ruling over their entire areas. There was a joining of church and state. It started with Constantine and then to Theodosius. When Christianity became the state religion, Constantine regarded himself as the head of the church. Constantine regarded himself as the head of the church. The church became an institution of importance in the world politics. Friend, I'm here to tell you, Constantine is not the head of the church. There's only one head of the church, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Church worship became more um, ritualistic ceremonies. They, they had the outward splendor of these heathen temples. The ministers were now known as priests. Um, this was not given to Christian ministers before 200 AD. It was borrowed from the Jewish worship and from the heathen priesthood. The new birth was not required of those who joined the church. And there became five major centers of Christianity, Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. Um, these men were called bishops and were given equal authority over their own province. Now, um, please forgive me if I'm misquoting any of those names. But as you can see, there, there are some changes here 
with the rise of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I want to state this very carefully. Uh, outward persecution makes the church stronger. Inward persecution is, is, where, is where Satan gets us. Okay? Inward persecution. Anytime you begin to have someone come in and change things. Here's a man referring to himself as the head of church, the head of the church. Here is a, a statewide religion which is now telling people that they, the new birth is not required for them to join the church. That is a, a very, very big uh, problem. Now, Pergamos, that word Pergamos means firmly married, um, and which means paganism unlimited. This is when the world entered into the church and it took its eyes off Christ. This church of Pergamos is a representation of, of this time period, which I'm referring to. There's change in church government. There's joining of church and state. There's worship that becomes ritualistic. There's ministers who, who became priests. Now I get it. We are the priesthood of believers, um, but all believers, friend, all believers are priests. If you are a Christian, you are in. You are a priest. According to the Bible, you are a priest. We have a great high priest who is the mediator between God and man. You do not. A, a certain minister is not a priest. I do not have to go to a priest who then goes to God on my behalf. No, sir. The Bible tells me I can boldly approach the throne of grace, meaning that I, a child of God, declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. I am a priest. I can very well go to the very holy of holies right now because of the finished work of Jesus Christ who died. The book of Hebrews tells me once for all. I am saved to the uttermost. I do not need a priest to go to Jesus Christ on my behalf, to go to the Father. No, my great high priest, Jesus Christ, is the mediator, the propitiation for my sins. The believers are priests, and now all of a sudden ministers are being treated as priests, meaning that the, the priest, the people were going to the priest, and the priests were being those mediators. That's not how that works, friend. We are all mediators. Yes, the new birth is required to be considered a child of God. The new birth is required. The church is indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. The only way to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God is to be saved. That's the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus he must be born again. The new birth was not required for those who joined uh, the church in this time period when the Roman Catholic Church started. And that's what was going on in Pergamos. And they are a, a representation of that time period. And they were holding to the doctrine of Balaam in, in the Nicolaitans. Now, I'm going back to that, the actual church of Pergamos here. Balaam and Nicolaitans. God hated that. Okay, Balaam teaching Israel to intermarry with the Moabites, introducing idolatry and fornication. Uh, the, the unconverted came into the church at that time. The Nicolaitans, we do not know exactly, but we do know that Jesus and Ephesus, the, the church that Paul started, hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And in Pergamum, there was all these heathen temples. 
And what does Jesus tell them in Revelation 2.16? He says, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of thy mouth. Deciding what is right and wrong in the church, you have no authority to do that. I have no authority to do that. Your pastor has no authority to do that. If he thinks he does, he needs to read the Bible, okay? The Bible is the authority. If you want to know what to do, read your Bible. Now, there are some gray areas, and we are to pray for wisdom. There are things we need to pray about. But friends, there are some things you do not need to pray about. Someone is spreading false doctrine in the church. Well, let me pray about it. No, mark that person and get them out. Okay, that is very important. This is all Bible. Uh, but we're talking here about the church at Pergamos. They need it to repent. They need it to turn away from their sin and get back to God. And this is the illustration why churches are closing their doors. It is not external persecution. You would be shocked the amount of money some of these small churches, 20-something people have in their bank account that is closing their doors. You would think, oh, probably, probably next to nothing. Some of them have way more than, than, than that. They have enough. If they want it, they could put a new roof on the church. They could do a lot. It ain't financial problems. I'll tell you what the problem is with a lot of churches that are shutting their doors is inward trouble. When you, let the, when you don't say anything, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them, for they are such for they that are ser such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Like a cancer, they get in and they start spreading false doctrine around, and that's what happens. James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Church at Ephesus left their first love. Church at Smyrna was persecuted. Church at Pergamos was worldly. Church at Thyatira, they were lax. Lax means not sufficient, strict, severe, or careful. The church at Thyatira represents the church during the Dark Ages. The 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th century was dominated by the Roman Catholic Church. Um, throughout the centuries, God has preserved his word. He's raised up men and women for the task. And even during the Middle Ages, um, sometimes called the Dark Ages, because of, of a perceived lack of knowledge during that time, the truth of the gospel was still uh, available. And it is true, the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Empire, were at the height of their power, and a common language, um, the Bible was being suppressed. However, um, even then, God's people were active. God's hand is never shortened that it can't save. Uh, that's what the Bible tells us in Isaiah 50, 59, verse 1. So, Thyatira to sacrifice continually. Uh, Christ commends them. Their works, they had the credit of real believers, their love, their faith, their ministry, their patience. One charge of condemnation, they got mixed up in false doctrine. A woman in Thyatira that was a counterpart um, taught them false doctrine and added to the church. Fornication and eating of food, sacrificing to idols, um, Jezebel, paganism, was to the northern kingdom. Uh, Jezebel was a very, very wicked woman, 
And this woman of Thyatira was a counterpart of Jezebel. And how is this a representation of the Dark Ages, what was going on in Thyatira? Pagan practices were mingled with Christian worship. Gregory I, Gregory VI introduced rituals into the church, worship of the virgin and the child. Mass was said for the dead. Purgatory became a doctrine. The Pope had power and began the Inquisition during this period. The Church of Thyatira was not careful and strict on their doctrine. Therefore, it is a, a great representation of, of this, church, this, this age here, the Dark Ages. Church at Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. This congregation was worse spiritually than any other churches except for Laodicea. Sardis represents the Protestant church between AD 1517 and 1800. Sardis means escaping or remaining. They were not persecuted at Sardis, but caused great harm to themselves. They were uh, a name that thou livest and art dead. The works of the church failed to live up to its profession. They were Christian in name only. This is a representation of the, the Reformation period. After the Dark Ages, God miraculously saved Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, the Wesley brothers, and many more. The Reformation recovered the doctrine of the justification by faith. Faith produces works. We need to recognize that all the truth was not recovered from the Protestant Reformation. Now, I know I've already said some things that are probably going to spark some questions, which is great. I want to say something else. Baptists are not Protestants. Now, if you want to debate me on that, I'm not a big debater, but I'll have a discussion with you. But I'm here to tell you, Baptists are not Protestants. Protestants have a name that lives, but it's, it's dead. It's religion. Um, many of these denominations, whatever you want to call it, they're just going through the motions. Anglican, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopal Church. They do things, and they can't even tell you why they do them. Again, this is not me picking on anyone. This is not me being disrespectful. Why do you why, why do you sprinkle infants? You can't find that in the Bible, friend. You cannot find that in the Bible. Where do you find that? You trace that back to the Catholic Church. You got that out of the Catholic Church. Baptist doctrine can be traced all the way back to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Through the epistles, Paul the Apostle, Peter, James, John, all those teachings of the epistles, Baptist, we were called Anabaptist, Catabaptist. We can be traced all the way back to, to the church, the age of the apostles there. It's very important we understand that. Um, the church at Sardis was dead, and we need the Holy Spirit in our churches. It's not going through rituals or methods or denominations, but the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, um, Baptist, we were... We were non-denominational before that was even a thing. Um, and again, this is this is a this is a much bigger uh, this is a much bigger conversation. Um, but it's very important that we understand that Baptists are are not Protestants. There, so if we're going to do something in our church and we're not sure why, 
We need to take the word of God and prove ourselves. Following a set of rules and rituals does not shine the light of Jesus Christ. It's very important. And Martin Luther, John Calvin, a lot of these, these were great men. And thank God they were saved and they, they, they were able to, to come out and to, to challenge it and, and all those things that they did. But listen, they kept a lot of the former practices of the Catholic Church um, that are not found in, in Scripture. And it's very confusing to me when you look at the rise of Calvinism within the Baptist Church. How many Baptists are actually identifying as hyper-Calvinist? And something to remind you, Baptists are not Protestants. John Calvin come out of the Protestant Reformation, which came out of the Catholic Church. So he's a little mixed up on his doctrine to begin with. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about Calvin, and that's up for another discussion. But again, trace back our roots. Go back to what we believe. Look at the scriptures. Okay, the, the, the idea of Calvinism, the main that God predestines who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell, that is not found in scripture. You can take text out of context and make it found in Scripture, but it's not consistent with the entire Bible. So the church at Sardis was dead. We need the Holy Spirit in our churches. It is not through our rituals or methods or denominations, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Last two churches here, you have the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea. The church at Philadelphia is the true church, and Philadelphia represents the revived church from 1800 which is the beginning of the 19th century until the rapture. This is a time period you, you have the great, uh, the great Welsh revival. Um, even in the day of Protestantism, people are turning back to God's praise and word. In verse 8, to sum up the church of Philadelphia, in verse 8, Jesus said, they kept my word. This is a revived church. This is a church that was holy, a church that was true. How do we become a holy church? How do we become a true church? What do we do? You keep the word of God. You keep his word. That's how we do that. This is a church whose light was shining. Smyrna and Philadelphia are the only churches that are not condemned for anything. They both let their light shine brightly for all the world to see. The last church here is the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Laodicea represents the final state of apostasy. That word Laodicea means to justify. We live in a day where men and women can justify almost anything. If there is a blatant crime, friend, it can be justified in the eyes of man. That's talking, that's talking about how the Bible tells us our righteousness as our self-righteousness is as filthy rags. Yet today in the age that we live in, it, Christians, open sin will, will self-justify that. And these are, this is the church. These are individuals in the church doing this. Um, this church of Laodicea that represents the final state of apostasy, they were low in the valley at Laodicea when they would bring cold water down from the mountains 
the water was warm. A cold church, this is a church that denies the word of God. It's given over to formality. It's given over to religion. A hot church is one with real passion, one who keeps the word of God, a truly a, whole, a holy church. Laodicea was, 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 not, was neither one. Was it hot? Was it cold? I've heard the example given this way. Cold brew coffee is good. Hot coffee is good. Lukewarm coffee is nasty. Okay. Churches today, I'm going to quote Dr. J. Vernon McGee here. Churches today who try to maintain a middle-of-the-road state, they don't want to come out and flat-footedly for the word of God, but at the same time don't want to be liberal, so they play footsie with both groups. That's Dr. J. Vernon McGee talking about lukewarmism. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from search turn away. The church at Laodicea was lukewarm. Lukewarm water makes you sick to your stomach, just like a lukewarm Christian will. This is what happens when politics get into the church. This is what happens when we do not trust in the Lord, um, when we do lean on our own understanding, when we do not acknowledge him in all our ways. He's not directing our path. The church isn't cold. It's not hot. It's lukewarm. The thing about apostasy that we all need to understand, apostasy, yes, it is a falling away. But here's something else with apostasy. Apostasy is a willful ignorance. Remember something. This is lukewarmness. This is not cold. This is not, this is not the, the dead church, the one who denies the word of God and is given over to formality religion. This is, not, this is not the hot church. This is the one who willfully are ignorant of God's word, justify living in open sin. Want, they're not cold. They're not hot. But they're in the middle. And Jesus said that he would spew, spew them out. So by way of conclusion here, you have the church of Ephesus who left their first love. You have the church at Smyrna who was persecuted. The church at Pergamos who was worldly. The church at Thyatira who was lax. The church at Sardis who was dead. The church at Philadelphia, the true church. And the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Revelation 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Listen to the Lord. Bible says he that hath an ear, yield to the Lord. When Jesus said, I know thy works and then fellowship with the Lord. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. I hope you got something out of this. I enjoyed our time together. We will continue our study in prophecy. We'll pick up on the second part of the book of uh, Revelation regarding prophecy, um, the things we shall be hereafter, and we'll pick up on that next time. Until then, may the Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to the Questions and Answers podcast with Dean Carmichael, Jr. Now, you can email your Bible questions to QA. B-I-B-L-E at Outlook.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, B-I-B-L-E at Outlook.com.